This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try and unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that's profitable. I'm Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my fabulous co-host, Greg from Studio One Design. Hey, Big Al. I like the way you do the intro. I'm trying to put some oomph into it, you know, like put my heart into that intro. It's like we're, uh, you know, doing this amazing show and here's the stars. Yeah, well, you know, it is. It is. Yeah, it's funny, hey, I do hear some podcasts that have got this glamorous music intro and then the host comes on. And there's just nothing exciting about the show. <laughs> it just finishes right there. Yeah, yeah I so. don't know, man. I, I, like, I get pretty excited when we record. I do too, actually. It's good fun, mate. It's good. It it's is. a bit of a challenge, you know, from the point of view that we just like, we have to come up with a new topic every single week, and we do. And then when we get into it, it's like, wow, this is it's good. I always learn stuff from you, which I find awesome. But yeah, hopefully the listeners like it too. Let us know. Go to therealmagic.com and leave a comment on our blog. Yeah, mate, look, this, uh, I think it keeps both of us at the top of our game. I mean, we get great pointers off each other, and we hope that that, that banter, that conversation helps the, the listener. And there is a lot of preparation. You know, we have to remember to do things like plug our headphones in, don't we, Greg? Uh, Greg? <laughs> we do. Turn our phones off, right, Al? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we do actually have a checklist for this, and we seem to always be one one missing but thank goodness we get it done <laughs> anyway listen what have you been up to this week before we get into our topic yeah sure well look you know we we have two businesses one is the you know studio one and then the other one is download t-shirt design which is more like a hobby business right and so what i'm doing because we have like five thousand odd people on that list you know clients and prospects etc so we've actually designed a website theme because i've noticed a lot of their websites suck and they're selling our designs as t-shirt you know printed t-shirts on their websites and i look at their websites and say geez they need some help so we've taken the you know our skills from studio one design over to offer it to that list of five thousand. so we've created a website theme and we're about to do a whole marketing funnel around it so watch your space I'll let you know how it goes what have you been up to and i have been uh, doing a lot more boring things than that let me tell you <laughs> I'm reviewing all our standard operating procedures. We've changed some software and and it turns out that, you know, we've gone from Help Scout to uh, Teamwork Desk, which are both tickets. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) Both ticket systems, but we've never done the SOPs. But here's my my cool tip for you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Useloom.com. Oh, how good is it? It is the best screen recording application I have ever seen. I mean... Kicks... But on things like Jing, that's just so clunky in comparison. Oh, look, and I used to love Jing because it was easy, right? Uh, but it was slow and, and yeah, it took a long time to upload and get a share link. And I don't know how these guys at Loom do it. Oh, same. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, but it's fabulous and it's free at the moment, right? And... If you want to upgrade it, all you've got to do is share it with other people and have them sign up for it and you get a bunch of bonuses. How clever is that, man, for them being spread all around the world like wildflower? Fire. Fire. Oh, look, absolutely. And I use my, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's an affiliate link, you know. Like they say, use this link 
And when somebody signs up, you'll get X, Y, Z. So I'm now at the point where I think I've got all three of their major bonuses. And what they're saying is that every new person after that, you get $5 credit. Now, I don't know what the $5 credit is for because they don't charge anything, but I presume right. at some stage they will. Exactly. Yeah. It's so smart, man. And yeah, they're just, you know, I, I don't know how many people they've got registered now using it, but every smart marketer that I speak to is using it these days. So welcome aboard, Al. Yeah. So, well, I know I've been using it for a while, but I'm just really, oh, yeah. I'm enjoying it at the moment. It's just, it has sped up my SOP videos because I can do a five-minute video or up to 10 minutes and literally within a matter of seconds, I have a shareable link that I can send to the admin team to then turn that into a, a written document. Yeah, exactly. And they also give the option to download the video so you can store it, you can keep it as well. Which I've been doing just, just mm. to be safe. Look, I mean, yeah. I love Loom, but I don't know. They're a startup as far as I'm aware. They may disappear in 12 months or they may charge a fortune for storage or what have you. So, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's very, very cool. Anyway, well, look, actually, that leads us into our topic, which is, you know, when is a paradigm shift in design a great idea or when is it a total and utter failure? I mean... All right, so what does that mean? Well, I mean, it means when you do something that is completely different to what everybody else in your industry is doing, Right. So the paradigm is the the norm. Would that be the best description for it? Yeah, understood. So does it have to be completely different or just something that's different? Like it could be minor, a minor change. Yeah, look, I mean, it could be minor, it could be major. I mean, look, when people talk about a paradigm shift, it's normally, a, you know, a big change in direction to what the norm is, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes those big changes in direction can stem from a small change. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got a couple of examples of that. So, yeah, what, what have you got there, Al? Have you got some examples? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm going to... Some of these are probably not paradigm shifts, right? But they're little things that people have gone against the grain of the norm that just, you know, I look at it and I think, why? Why would you do that? You know, so this was all triggered out of my frustration with... Look, and I, look I'm going to name it because I just named that I was using it with Teamwork Desk, right? Yep, yep. So... Yeah, in their other app, Teamwork, the search box is in the top right-hand corner, right? Mm -hmm. And in just about every sensible application that I know of, the search box is in the top right-hand corner. It's just become the the norm online. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Right, or front and centre, right? Like where it's really, really obvious, but it's generally at the top. Well, for me to access the search button on Teamwork Desk, and hi to everyone at Teamwork Desk if you're listening, (laughs) I have to click in the bottom left-hand corner on the magnifying glass to make the search box appear in the top right-hand corner. Hello. Yeah. So what happens is I automatic, before even clicking in the bottom left-hand corner, my mouse goes to the top right and they go, oh, it's not there. So I have to drag it all the way across to the bottom left, click it, and then move back to the right. Now... Is this a big deal? No. Like, how much time is it wasting? Maybe one or two seconds maximum. But when you look at this across my entire team and all the users, if we're all doing the same thing, it's infuriating and frustrating and it just never changes because everybody else has it in the top right-hand corner, ready to go. Mm -hmm. Make sense? 
Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, and there's lots of things like that I find. Obviously, you know, we get a lot of websites sent to us as reference and things like that, and people love the, you know, the reference that they send for various reasons, and often those reasons are exactly like you've just mentioned. It's a paradigm shift of something that doesn't make sense, and it's like, why the heck would you do that? Look, absolutely. I mean, you brought one to my attention, which I, you know, hadn't really thought about, but as soon as you mentioned it, I went, yep. It's frustrating to me, which is the way people are doing their menus on websites today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a few variations. And look, we know that on a mobile, usually the top navigation gets replaced with what's called a hamburger menu, which are three little horizontal lines, essentially, right, at the very top right, normally, of your, you know, your mobile phone or whatever, right? So now, because it's minimalistic and it's really cool, people are doing it on their website, like on the desktop version, which I tried as well, I must admit. I thought it was cool, it looks cool. So I tried it for, uh, you know, a couple of months and the results were terrible as a, like for a conversion. So what it meant was people were clicking on our top nav items to get to our folio, get to our website design services, you know, designer on tap, etc. social proof page, blog. But now, oh, sorry, when we had this hamburger menu, people weren't clicking it like people were, but nowhere near as many. So people were bouncing. So it increased our bounce rate. So that's terrible for a website. Did you see an increase in the, if people did scroll down, did you see an increase in the clicks in your footer menu? Uh, I didn't notice an increase. I was hoping for an increase in clicking the main call to action, but that didn't happen either. So it was just working against us. So I quickly changed it back. Yeah. So, so this is an example where, you know, maybe the norm or the assumption is that because people are using hamburger menus on their mobile devices, that we should try it on other things. So this is an example where going against that that paradigm is a good idea, right? So it's your shift back to a normal standard top menu mm-hmm. was beneficial. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, right. Whereas that search box thing is a frustration for the consumer. So you know, oh, look, I was just so so we had a better definition. I actually just looked up the definition of paradigm shift right so it's a mm-hmm. fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions yeah okay there you go yeah. yeah so so it could be big it could be small it doesn't really matter look here's a, here's a good one for you right and this has nothing to do with necessarily graphic design but designing of, of a product so you know i was always taught in my photographic career to offer three product options right an a b and a c in price order low medium high and I have my photo trading cards product offer, right? Yep. And I was being hassled by certain clubs to offer a lower option, right? And I really didn't want to offer four. And I thought it would be detrimental to my my average sale value by adding a lower product price, right? Yeah, sure. And it turns out <laughs> that when I did apply it after testing it, so I didn't say no, right? I didn't make any assumptions, I did test it, and it turns out that it actually increased, in this instance, my average sale value because mm. my pack one, two, and three stayed the same price, and yep. pack four was, was $5 lower. Now, with an A, B, and C, people were picking pack two or three, right? I added pack four, and all of a sudden, they, for some reason, they were opting for pack two more often and pack one. 
don't tell don't ask me how or why but that's the reality of the result so i've had an assumption for 20 years that the three tier pricing is the right way to do it yeah right i would so, have thought so too yeah absolutely and it's a it's a it's an interesting case study because i think it, it actually increased my average sale value by about 11 percent, which is pretty substantial when you think about it mm, yeah well, that's awesome man it just made me uh remember a, a little change that we did on our um, designer on tap page we've got two pricing options but we have a third one which is free right? <laughs> so and what we do for that one we kind of use that as a uh a lead magnet so you know we've got the two pricing options are you know like uh, a one-day turnaround a two-day turnaround and then yeah the third one which i've written on the button most popular right <laughs> which it is because it's totally free and then on the actual call to action button we write don't apply now because the other ones say apply now right and this is don't apply now <laughs> and uh yeah it's a bit of a you know paradigm shift in the sense that you're doing the opposite of what um what you should be doing but it converts like crazy like it's our highest converting lead magnet <laughs> for that reason yeah and so what you've actually done is you've you've gone against the grain where it's always sell 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 and you're actually yeah. putting something there saying well listen you know, if you're not up for what we've got, don't use us. That's right. You know. Yeah, and there's a price on there, $0, and, you know, most popular, and then you press don't apply now, and then I've got, you know, a headline, curious to know what that button did, right? There's no limit to what custom design can do to get you great results, blah, 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 opt in for this lead magnet, you know, case studies, etc. But, yeah, that's our highest converting. Even though it's hard to get to, but it converts really well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Look, there's an, there's another one that um, both you and I have a big, bit of a bugbear about, which is how the paradigm has shifted to online to very clean, flat, almost hard to find buttons on websites. Mm-hmm, sure. You know, so what, what's your opinion on that? I mean, is that something that you should, that everybody should make sure they keep to the norm or do you have a better better option? I just think you need to look at each case individually and if a call to action doesn't stand out enough and it doesn't need to actually look like a button, but if it doesn't have enough clear space around it, if the color's not contrast enough, if it's you know trying to be too trendy and it's just a ghost button, it doesn't have any hover effect when you hover over it to make it stand out or drop shadow or anything, then you really need to change it in my opinion if it's not converting. So yeah, to me, don't follow a trend just because it's a trend. Test it and really look at it as a whole and just work out if it's competing with everything else around it or if it needs more clear space to grab more attention. Yeah, look, and I mean, I can think of, you know, I mean, we probably don't have time on this episode, but I can probably think of a dozen examples where items that are not online have tried to make a shift from the norm and in some cases been hugely successful with it and in other cases it's been an absolute disaster you know i've seen trade or wholesale markets where they've tried to fancy up their design so they've tried to be more you know architectural or high fashion and and take a lead from you know top magazines and bring that into their trade business and their market is just not open to it. They want clean and simple and easy to to digest information so that they can make quick decisions on what they're doing from a 
from a trade point of view. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some designs don't suit some industries. Absolutely. And then I've seen the inverse, right? So I have a, I have a client that I've had for a very, very long time and they're in the lighting industry and they did these beautiful stark white boxes with silver foil, silver foil stamping, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a complete, you know, change in the mindset of packaging in that industry, right? So it was a lot of brown box packaging. It was a lot of very cheap, you know, awful colours, badly designed packaging because the philosophy was, well, the product's on display in the store. They don't, there's no need for a good box, right? There's no need for a retail card and it's not like it's going into Maya or David Jones or, or Kmart or something like that. But the reality was that when the salespeople in the store saw those products arrive, they got excited. They went, wow, this is really beautiful. It's, you know, somebody's making a, a standout, right? So the reason the reason I talk about this is not the retail packaging, but it was actually the next step, right? So again, their shipping cartons, what they decided to do was make this part of their brand, this paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. So they got stark white and silver ink shipping cartons, right? And, yeah. and this was actually taken as a lead from Amazon. So you know how Amazon have their very unique smiley face box? Yeah. Right? So when a delivery guy is walking up to your door, you know you're getting an Amazon parcel, right? So, yeah, sure. So, so they wanted to do the same thing in that industry. And everybody said, even within the business, that's crazy. Shipping cartons get dirty. It's not going to look nice. Let me tell you that these little changes that they made that went completely against their whole industry has made a huge difference in their, in their sales and conversions. Oh, wow. There you go. You know, like you kind of have to, you have to be willing to make a paradigm shift, but also be able to pivot back very quickly if it's, if it's not working for you. Doesn't go well. Yeah, exactly. I think of Arnott's shapes, <laughs> you know, they, they for years had their flavor that everybody knows and loves, and then they went ahead and changed it. And in my opinion, they were terrible. And it turns out, same with millions of other people thinking the same thing. So then they bought out two versions, you know, the other, the, uh, they bought out the, the new version still, but they bought out the old version. They had to put a big original, you know, written all over it. And so now I don't see the new versions in store anymore, but I all see the old versions with the original flavor um, stamped on them only, you know. So, yeah, they made a, a huge shift, and I think for the wrong reasons, but at least they kind of tested it and and kept the other ones in there well it's interesting you know like you talk about arnott's shapes which is for those you know for anybody who doesn't know is a little flavored cracker a little flavored biscuit right a a savory biscuit but i mean even when you look at things like the flavoring of crisps chips chips right you go to different countries and they all have a different set of flavors that are the norm for that particular country Mm -hmm. and you know, if you look across all the different crisp manufacturers here in Australia, they have all the same basic fundamental three or four flavours, right? And nobody goes against that norm. And you'll see some companies come out with something different on occasion, but it seems to just default back to the paradigm. So that's an example where, you know, going outside the square isn't always going to make you more money or do better. Mm, and it makes me think of the colour that represents that flavour, you know, so if you think chicken flavour, what colour do you think? Well, in Australia, you think green. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like that's just one example. But if you think about all the different flavours of chips, 
Generally speaking, across all the brands, they use a very similar color for to represent that flavor. Now, if somebody went completely unusual and did, I don't know, um, red for chicken, you probably wouldn't have that flavor association. And I just wonder if they would sell as well. Oh, I doubt they would. Yeah. You know, because, because the industry has done so well to align those colors, that's where a paradigm shift would be. I believe disastrous, right? The products just would not move off the shelf exactly because you couldn't you couldn't find them. I mean, there was an issue, not an issue. Oh, actually, for me, it was an issue, right? Well, I think it was maybe Uncle Toby's who makes muesli bars changed their packaging so dramatically and changed the way they displayed the flavors that I was I couldn't find them in store. I was actually walking straight past them and uh, and I couldn't buy them. Again, you know, maybe that's not maybe that's not a design a paradigm shift. Maybe that's a design for change for Thank you. For change sake. Yeah, change for the sake of change that wasn't well thought out. Just cuz they're sick of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know other things like industries, there are some industries that are still very much, you know, mail and paper based. And as great as it is to use all these online resources, a shift in that paradigm is going to take a lot of time. Does that mean you don't do, you know, don't have a website and don't do email broadcasts if you're in one of those industries? No, you have to have it. But remember that the paradigm in that particular industry may be mailing out catalogs, mailing out price lists. And there are still a huge amount of businesses, surprisingly large amount of businesses that, that operate like that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen companies where they've gone, oh, we want to take our whole catalog and we want to put it online. Okay. And we're going to stop doing our printed catalog because that's going to save us twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year. And they very quickly print the next catalog run and put it out when they realize that the paradigm in that industry is not to go online for that information. It's to go to the shelf, grab the binder that has that catalogue or that group of catalogues and flick through it and find what you're looking for. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, that's an example where you wouldn't stop doing the printing. You might test doing the online version, but you certainly shouldn't stop what's working. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So can you think of any other online paradigms that have that are well entrenched that people should stay close to when designing websites? Uh, look, yeah, definitely navigation. And, uh, you know, I use a lot of apps for, you know, running an online business and it's just a little thing. But if you're logged into an app, usually once again, top right, you'll find a little, you know, cog or, a, or something to do with the settings. And that's where you would log out generally. But in one of the apps that I use, which which is an online chat thing, it's right down in the bottom left, but it's hidden like layers deep within that. I just don't understand why they would make it so hard to log out when it's something that you you know you want to do. If you're offline, you want to be able to sh uh, let people know that you're offline really quickly and easily. I just it's just an odd thing. Yeah, and and I think it's the same as things like you know online store menus and product choosers you know that that you know model from what is working with successful businesses that's where you know sticking to a paradigm is is a good idea i mean we did a a change for one of my clients to their their homepage where they insisted that they needed more options right uh the data didn't show that but they said because everybody else was doing it that's what they needed to do right and we did it and it turns out that uh, from the heat mapping the only thing that was being clicked 
was the one thing we had originally. And all we were doing was making it harder for the customer to get where they needed to get to. Less is more. Yeah, so be careful with, with paradigms. Be careful with what everybody else is doing, you know. It could be, you know, the right thing to do and you should stay close to them. So if you've got an e-com store, you know, you need to have your products in categories and you should have good filtering systems to allow people to narrow down to their to their product selection, right? So that would be, I believe, a, a good paradigm. I mean, if you, if you went right away from that, you could make it really, really hard for the average consumer to find what they need, right? Yeah. The same as you're talking about, hamburger menus versus a traditional top menu. Yeah, just, just on that, on the e-commerce thing, what we find, what we're doing lately for a lot of e-commerce stores that have, you know, literally thousands or hundreds of products, it's really hard for the consumer to filter, like you mentioned, is we have a, a wizard. So you'd have a question like, you know, not sure which I don't know, headset is right for you, for instance, and then use the products uh, wizard or whatever they call it, right? Click that button and it just takes you through all these options. Like, do you need a headset, you know, over the over the head or is it just, uh, I don't know, whatever options they have, right? And so the point is it asks about four different questions, just A or B options. And then at the end, it will spit out the right headset for your needs in a matter of, you know, literally 20 seconds. So you've gone from having a choice of hundreds to being able to work out what's right for you in, you know, a, a fraction of the time. Look, look, I absolutely agree. And I think that sometimes people stick too close to the paradigms, right, and try and make everybody happy. Uh, you know, that's a good example of helping somebody with three or four steps prior to giving them the filter options just to remove the 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 clutter you know so it might be like if you were buying if you went to somewhere like oakley for example the first question they would ask you is are you looking for men's apparel or women's apparel yeah right and then are you looking for clothing sunglasses or accessories right and then you you step down to a point where you've got a shorter list and then you've got your traditional, you know, top or left bar filtering options where, you know, I want to see blue ones that have this particular type of lens on it and this style of frame. Is that That's mm -hmm. the kind of thing you mean, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Whereas I go to the Oakley site and it does give me the men's and women's option up in the, the menu. And when I click on it, it gives me like five or six columns that I've got to hunt through to find what I want. So they've got you know, shop, buy, and then it's got lifestyle, golf, search, baseball, and then there's a sunglasses list and an eyeglasses list and a goggles mm. list and an apparels list. and a So what they could do is, you know, go a little off paradigm and have that product wizard and step me through three or four steps before I get these options because I don't want to have to read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lists with up to 10 items in each list to find what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, if you're going to make a shift, make sure it's uh, easy for your consumers. Yeah, nice. And don't be scared of change. Exactly, man. Cool. You know, just ask yourself the question, is this a shift in paradigm that is beneficial to the consumer, like you said? You got it, man. Awesome. Well, anything else to add, Al, or we wrap it up for this week? I am tops, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, listener, for hanging in there. And, um, yeah, if you do have any comments, go to The Real Magic, or if you like what you hear, head over to iTunes and leave us an honest review. Thanks, listener. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. 
Hear more at therealmagic.com.